Hello and welcome back to Discovering SCP. We are back. Hello. Wow. I found Hello. you. Yes. Um, thanks. You, I got lost for a little bit You thought just because we by were... not clicking on the episode you wouldn't have to listen to it? <laughs> I'm inside your dreams now. You Sorry, I was trying up. to cross over into the other loop before you could find me, but I failed. <laughs> Sorry. I have terrible news, by the way. What's what wrong? The SCP wiki logged me out of my account again, so I have to log back in. Sorry, this is the third part of uh, SCP News. Uh, hang on. I'm having trouble logging in right now. There we go, I'm logged in. Okay, so SCP News. Let's see. Uh, I think some people fell for a scam for, like, who's visiting your Twitter profile the most, which is not information that Twitter tracks. Um, beyond that... Uh, I've seen people talk about like things they're writing in the gift exchange it has either already started or is coming up, right? Mm, yeah, I have no That's clue. a big deal in SCP news. It's not even on the SCP's front page, but thankfully I, Darnell, am here to report on it. Um, also, I do see, it says added four days ago, this month's edition of Site News has an interview with the prolific author and winner of 7KCon, Harry Blank, as oh, well as yes. a new section for article reviews. Uh, also, someone okay. Actually, I I swore someone DM'd me or told me to do this, or maybe someone was just tweeting generically, or maybe I'm insane. But I thought someone told me we ha we needed to have Harry Blank on, but I can't remember where it was, if ever. So I think we need to have him on at some point. Maybe that's a sign about that. Have you thought about it? Maybe I have thought about it a great length. It would be kind of dangerous, though, because that would be making our audience aware of a much better podcast, <laughs> which which puts us in quite a position, but no, well, no Maybe we real. can begin to assimilate. <laughs> yeah. We can just put them in the DSCP Corp as our uh, as the parent uh, company. Hmm. Welcome to uh, DSC Incorporated. We're interested in making one of our branches. Uh, you're a young, bright, up-and-coming SCP artist and writer. We like what we <laughs> well, see. We only we only want a small agent's fee for your work. <laughs> a little bit of commission, you know what I mean? <laughs> we'll pay you with exposure. <laughs> Alright, but um, that's about all I have for SCP News, I think. So, we're finishing up the last few articles of the Anti-Memetics Division, right? We're almost done. <laughs> yeah, there's the last couple of chapters around now. Uh, didn't you say we only had like three left? Yeah. So let's see if we can knock those out today, or at least half of them. We'll see. I can't oh. say for certain either way, but... Um... We'll do our best to focus. I'll try my hardest. My darndest, even. My darn eldest. Uh, no why don't way. you send... No way can this guy handle three. Hey, maybe not in one day, but I can probably at least do two if you send me a link. Okay. Here's the we'll first see where we can get. This is Blood Slash Brain by Tanhina. You know, it's by Quantum. Did you just try to take credit for my buddy question. I tried to use New World Order, but his defenses were too strong. I'll kill you, you know. So it's the same right. kind of ability as New World Order, huh? It is. Uh, wow, this is a long one. Good thing you're doing all the reading, right? Sure. Alright, why don't you get started, okay? <gasps> There's no day-night cycle. Something like a week into his trek, Wheeler realizes that he can perform an experiment. He's left a building with a high ceiling to sleep in, a library. Before turning in, he sets up a foothold pendulum. 
and suspends a heavy rock by wire from the ceiling and sets it swinging. The following morning, the slow pendulum is still swinging, and it is precessed. It's swinging at about a round night angle from the mark he made before he went to sleep. That means the world is still spinning. On reflection, he doesn't know if it proves anything. It's not clear whether the Pokemon Sun or Pokemon Moon still exist, <laughs> or any celestial object at all than the red-black eye socket at the horizon. The eye I thought you were going to say the black, uh, red-eyes black dragon. <laughs> it casts long, threatening shadows while being blind enough to, bright enough to blind Wheeler whenever he has to walk in that proximate direction, which is about half the time. I've never heard of that spell before, long, threatening shadows. What do you mean? <laughs> It says it casts long. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, Okay, continue. I'm done being stupid. Regardless of the physical evidence, it doesn't feel as if he's walking on a real earth or fully awake. He feels like an ant crawling across oh! no! in every direction. <laughs> this is my test. Okay, no. All right, focus, Curtis. Let's continue. Crawling okay, let's across the face of a rough-hewn monolith. <laughs> crawling into and out of the rooms chiseled into the face of that monolith. Runes which form an unstoppable apocalyptic mythology. He has migraines, and there are blotchy, multicolored zigzags in his vision by the end of most days. He feels as if the whole world's perpetually dropping away from beneath his feet, like he and it are both plummeting into an abyss. Damn, that's pretty depressing. He has not been caught yet. The violent phenomena Ulrich warned him about have not appeared, which makes him feel increasingly lucky and nervous. He carries a loot of <laughs> For a second, because of the way it was like passively written, I thought he was calling Ulrich a violent phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> He carried a looted gun, which he practiced with a little. He's a better shot than he would have guessed using his right hand alone. His left hand, the mangled one, does nothing but shake. He has to keep it clutched to his chest when shooting. The gun gives him less reassurance than he'd like. It feels as if he was to end up in a situation it could metamorph suddenly from a working firearm into a fiddly metallic liability and explosive distraction in his pockets. On occasion, on the horizon, he sees a skyscraper-sized figure stalking past. He holds still, or hides, and doesn't see him. Other than that, the world is seemingly deserted, standing empty, like an overturned car in a muddy ditch. Open doors, lights still blinking. Wheeler feels detached, lucky, guilty. He keeps away from cities. He has not yet come within eyeshot of a sarcophagus. Ulrich was evasive in describing them, and advised him in the strongest possible terms to stay away from them. But on another night, he selects a bad place to camp, where the wind and the local geography funnel the noise from one of the sarcophagi up to him from the valley. The noise, despite its faintness and distance, cultivates such intense and horrible nightmares that he has to get up, pack up again, and walk further away, as many miles as it takes. The noise creates, in him, things which he dearly wants not to be flashbacks. This sort of like bleak post-apocalyptic setting is almost kind of reminding me, like, as that it makes me think of this as like a precursor to Bellerverse or something. Mm. It's like very like somber. There's no one left. Well, I, I guess there's people left, but they're all inhabited by the entity, right? Yeah, they've all been fucked up by the, the strange new ideas. In a way, he's sort of in a zombie apocalypse. He's just kind of creepy to think about. He goes into a shop and, along with packaged food and bottled water, steals a cheap digital wristwatch. It has a date function. Today is Monday the 17th of April. He's just gone lunchtime. Time is still passing. On some level, all of this is factual. It's happening. Can I pop you just for this little paragraph? Yeah. And if it's really happening, then what? There is no longer any ambiguity about what, specifically, is happening. Not in Wheeler's mind, or in anyone's. 
The world has long since passed through 3125's anti-memetic boundary layer and into its radioactive core. Radioactive core, sorry. There is no longer a need for 3125 to pretend that it is not what it plainly is. What else could it be? What difference could it make now? What could oppose it? It stands there, in plain sight. Wheeler sees it. All of conscious reality sees it. It's happening everywhere, to every one. It's not physically possible to conceive of anything else. There is no worst-case scenario than what's happening now. There's no race against time. There's no ticking clock. There's no last second. The last second was years ago. There's nothing to avert. This is it. The final game position. The highest and most refined form of human civilization. This is the shape of the next million years. 3125 stands there, monstrous, casual, and indifferent. And Wheeler is alone with his thoughts for a long period of time, and has little else to think about. And he wrinkles his brow, and he blinks a long blink, and looks again. And he realizes what it was that he wasn't seeing. 3125 is standing there, like a human stands. Popcorn. He reaches site 41 at the beginning of May. His body clock has wandered far out of skew by this point. It's technically around midnight when he first lays eyes on the place. There's a protective field surrounding it, stamped into reality by the detonation of the anti-emetic warhead, raging out a few hundred metres beyond the site's perimeter. It's a psychological repulsion, not a physical one, and fill bulwark of irrelevance. There's nothing there, just keep walking. Despite being warned about it, Wheeler succumbs to the effects. Thirty minutes walk down the road, he double-checks his map and realises what happens and turns back. This happens a second time. On the third attempt, he makes it through. Dead reckoning and willpower. For some reason, he'd been imagining an ancient, dramatically overgrown ruin, but the containment breach which led to the site's destruction happened only 18 months ago, and the bomb blast which concluded the outbreak was figurative, not physical. About a third of Site-41's main building has been torn down, but the rest is perfectly intact and unmarred. Mother Nature has not reclaimed it. Gnarled trees are not sprouting from the damaged side. Wheeler exhales. There is a still safe atmosphere about the place. It's as if Site-41 has its own cool microclimate. It's easier to think. Even the light here is fractionally yellower, more natural. The site's main entrance is sealed with steel doors, but Wheeler circles around to the damaged side of the building and is able to affect entry over the rubble. He moves at a medium-slow pace. He can't afford to blunder into anything, but if he goes too slowly, he thinks, he'll overthink the situation and become scared and have to retreat all the way out of the building. The late Daisy Ulrich promised him that the site was safe. She then went Interesting that safe is capitalised here. She then went to rather disconcerting lengths to explain precisely what safe meant. No entities capable of spontaneously, actively harming a person. No entities in need of an active, dynamic containment procedure. A safe SCP can be left in a dark, locked room indefinitely with no risk, she explained. A nuclear bomb is safe, she said, giving the canonical example. Well, he replied, up to a point. Oh, because that implies that if he were to accidentally interact with something, it could go bad. That's that's cool, because that kind of paints the picture of a site of safe SCPs being sort of like, um... You know that scene in Nemo where there's, like, all those underwater mines? Yeah. It's kind of like that. I like how you had to relate the concept of a mine through the, through Finding Nemo. Well, you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean. Yeah, I should have just said he's going through a minefield. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I like but it. It's, it. It actually paints a really cool way of S- safe SCPs. I like that, is what I meant to say. The site is safe, he tells himself, creeping forward. It's just like a minefield from Finding Nemo. 
Most dangerous things is going to find a rat. <laughs> he jumps back, aiming his flashlight at frantic shape. Corpses. The corpse is seated against the corridor wall. Is clutching a combat knife, which it seems to have buried up to the hilt in its own inner thigh, opening a gushing artery. Wheeler backs up against the wall, unable to look closely at the body, but equally unable to let out his eyesight in case it does something. He feels faint. It doesn't help at exactly that moment the fluorescent lights in the corridor come up, triggered by his movement, giving him a much better look at the scene. The scene is about as bloody as any suicide can be. No, thank you, he says. He backs up. He backs all the way up the corridor and through the ruin to the virulent red place which patches for daylight, and there he throws up. Jesus, this is, like, so depressing. It takes a long time to talk himself back into it. He finds many more bodies. Some of them are in groups, having died during violent altercations, or during more complex scenes which Wheeler cannot fully pass. Some of them are dismembered or are scattered pieces. Some of them appear to have been dead for significantly longer than the rest. They are little more than wafer-thin skin wrapped around skeletons, and there are strange things written on the wall beside them. Wheeler never works out like, I know why, I know why. Why? Because remember, there was also, prior to the whole antiomatic bomb going off and everyone thinking the shit, there was also the other, like, antimine running around the place, like, killing people. Oh, Jesus. Do you remember? And he had to throw the phone mm-hmm. at it? Mm-hmm. That's why. That's true. I think, oh, yeah. that was, like, the very first antimine medic tale, right? With, like, the One newbie. of the first ones, yeah. Yeah. So that's where the older ones are coming from, because they just never found those corpses. There's still power. There's running water. At first, nearly every door he meets is locked, but he steals his nerves and returns to each of the dead foundationers in turn. And re- that's the new fan base. And retrieves their keys and security passes. Soon he has the run of the place, with only a few highly secure control rooms and containment units denied to him. At this point, his task has become open-ended. If Hughes is not somewhere on Site 41, which he almost certainly isn't, Willow needs to find information leading to his true location. He needs data. He collects devices. Phones and laptops and computer terminals. Foundation built with chunky form factors. What does that mean, Daniel? Um, I assume that means that they're like really thickly built, oh. like like a Nokia or something. Do you know very what? bulky. Let's take a look. Most of them need passwords or pins, which you can't get, but a few can be unlocked using security passes or biometrics, which you can get if he carries the device back to the relevant corpse and presents their face or finger to the scanner. Devices still have power, too. Wheeler is unable to find anything resembling a battery readout on any of them. He is slowly learning a key lesson. The Foundation builds things to endure. Although the Foundation as a group of people is absent, the physical systems they built are still here, and functioning and ready. The SCP database is the most obvious icon on every device's home screen. Ulrich told him to look out for a particular sigil, concentric circles with three inward-pointed arrows. Inevitably, like an uncounted number of newcomer foundationers before him, Wheeler loses a significant number of hours browsing the entries. <laughs> oh my lord. This he, is not the time, Wheeler. just to like be me, him. for real. <laughs> the foundation has a specific and recognisable house style, which is describing the most mind-boggling, weird anomalies in absolute mundane, factual terms. Even heavily redacted, different users see different amounts of redaction, but there's plenty of data which you can't access no matter whose identity uses. It makes a bizarrely compelling reading. Especially from this guy called Quantum. He writes the best SCP files. I did not expect like the circle a circle jerk to be put into (laughs) like a quantum article built in. I'm gonna pretend it's a it's a fun nod instead of a circle jerk because I I love quantum that much. Hughes has mentioned numerous times in the database. 
He seems to have multiple overlapping research specialties and has created in many entries as a containment architect. Wheeler takes detailed notes, assembling a picture of the man's career progression, and then randomly stumbles into the Foundation's own personal records for Hughes, which line up almost exactly with what he just worked out. There are huge holes in the personal record. The last entry relating to Hughes' actual activities in 2007, and then in 2010, after a gap of years, there's a final note, a single unauthored sentence. It appears that those who knew Hughes fate met, meet it. That was and literally that. one sentence, Stan. <laughs> It what? appears that those who know Hughes' fate meet it. Sorry. End of file. Okay, I was Two sentences, actually. Despite making you do all the reading. Wheeler frowns at the unhelpful Darnell for a long minute. It reads <laughs> like a riddle. <laughs> Wheeler was, for a long time, a crossword puzzle fiend, but it seems improbable to him that a clandestine organization like the Foundation will leave cryptic clues for one another, rather than clear, direct instructions. He downvotes it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which means the note is probably intended to be read simply and literally. Don't look for Hughes unless you want to meet the same thing. Wait, fate. what happened? Hi, it's, nothing's happened, okay? Oh, sorry, there was like a delay in when I could hear you, so I thought you went silent for an uncomfortably long amount of time, and then it all went. I was so angry at you. <laughs> Wheeler tilts his chair back and stares at the ceiling, contempl- contemplatively. On the other hand, the note also means Hughes can be found. It's been done before. Popcorn. There's no... I, I already was one step ahead of you. I could feel it. See, that's how in sync we are. Your one-second precognition. <laughs> There's no day-night cycle, but he's worn out. His body's telling him that he needs to sleep. He sleeps on a sofa in an employee break room, on the far side of the building from the red eye. There's a snack machine, and there are snacks in the machine, but he doesn't have any cash. He considers breaking the glass, but if he screws it up and cuts himself badly, there isn't a single doctor left in the whole world who could stitch him up. He considers, and rules out, looting the nearest corpse for a dollar. As he tries to sleep, something comes to him. An acute, anxious energy. It grips him by the shoulder. Get up, it screams at him distantly. You cannot rest. Do the arithmetic. It's all still happening. Move. He rolls over and ignores it. And it bothers him intellectually that he can ignore it. He wonders if there is some vital organ missing from his body. He should be quivering with anger and terror right now, yes? Why in his heart is he so calm? He looks at 3125, whose very existence on paper should paralyze him with fear. He looks at what 3125 is doing, which should fill every fiber of his being with furious purpose. And he looks at his own significance to the whole endeavor and his own guesstimate of the odds. He does the arithmetic, and the product of all those factors rounds down to damn near zero. This isn't going to work, that's why. This has to stop, it has to end, please! Curled up in his sleeping bag, eyes screwed shut, Adam Wheeler mutters to whatever may be listening. It isn't going to work. Near the site entrance, he can't figure out how to unlock the steel doors, even from this side. He finds a security office with printed floor plans of the whole site. He crosses off the rooms he's visited and the rooms which are destroyed. Everything remaining is locked. Above ground, anyway. Underground, there are warrens of tunnels and dozens more containment units. Rarens. And... Rarens. Rarens. And, 30 floors below ground, a single incredibly large vault of unstated purpose. This final vault draws his attention in magnetically. Ulrich assured him that the site was totally safe with a capital S. As the freight elevator descends, Wheeler finds that a kind of anxious pressure is building above him. The air is rapidly getting warmer, and he's just realized that if the elevator breaks down right now, he'll likely be helplessly trapped and die. He shouldn't have used it. He should have used the emergency stairs. Too late. The elevator lands. There's an empty corridor. He follows it, drawn forward. There's an airlock at the far end, a wall of white metal big enough to drive a truck through. 
The airlock is closed, but there are seven or eight overlapping circular holes punched through it, making a combined gap which is easily big enough to admit a human. Beyond the airlock, there's a vast, dark space. Wheeler has climbed through the hole and walked five paces out into the darkness before he even thinks about what he's doing. There are shapes out there, illuminated by the scant light falling from the airlock and corridor. Lumps, which could be more dead people. Wheeler's own shadow blocks much of the light. He takes out his torch. It is absolutely silent down here, and the temperature is uncomfortable, making him sweat. The rest of the huge vault, as far as he can shine his light, is totally empty. This torch is not powerful enough to illuminate a space this big, so it's hard to be certain. Is he Alan Wake? <laughs> Alan! Does it, he just has to point it at the 3125 long enough so he can <laughs> use his revolver. <clears throat> he advances. A loud tone is building in his ears as he gets closer. There are... He I hate my fans! He's just like Alan. There are, he counts, 14 dead. 13 of them dead in a rough circle around a 14th, a woman lying flat on her back. Just outside of the circle, there is a military truck with the inert remains of a complex machine mounted on its back. This, Wheeler surmises, is the anti-memetic warhead. There is a cable leading down to a control unit lying on the floor under the hand of the dead woman. Ah, he says with a note of regret. So you're the one. Her security pass looks different from the others. And has a bright diagonal stripe across it in red and orange. He takes it. There's a roaring in his skull. He can't see it clearly at first. Something is disturbing his vision, a gold-white spot in the corner of his eye, an artifact from the combination of extreme darkness and bright torchlight. He squints. It says, Marion Wheeler, Site Director. He stares at it for a long time, weirdly disoriented. He doesn't exactly know why. It is, of course, a very commonplace name. If he stopped to gawp at every other Wheeler he met, he would never get anything done. Still, she's the one with her hand on the switch. She's the one who ended this local outbreak. Out of every dead foundation around this damned site, she's the one who didn't die for no reason at all. He feels as if he should say a few words, but they do not come to him. He makes one quick circuit around the vault perimeter, scanning the floor and the wall, looking for anything interesting and finding nothing but construction tools and scaffolding. He returns to the airlock and then the freight elevator. He glares at it for a long, frustrated moment, and then accepts that it would be unsafe to use it again. The emergency stairwell is perfectly well lit, but 30 floors is a mountain. Three times on the way up, he has to stop to rest his knees. Popcorn. The site director's pass gets him everything. Every control unit, room, every containment unit, every file. He gets the whole story. He puts the last piece in place. He leaves a note, following the same hopeless, diligent ritual as the rest of the Antimetics Division before him. He emerges from SCP-3125's inverted containment unit, with extremely clear written instructions from himself to himself. He knows exactly where he needs to go. As he moves down the forest road away from the site, he reaches and crosses the edge of the Antimetic Crater. He squares his shoulders, re-entering the presence of SCP-3125. His inner ear starts free-flowing again. Where were you just now? Someone calls out to him. He stops walking. He squints into the intense light ahead of him, shielding his eyes. He can just about make out a figure standing there. The trees on each side of them rustle and move. The two tall, spider scrapers. A wave of dread hits Wheeler, followed closely by one of perverse relief. This is it. Why can't I track you? The unidentified man says. His voice sounds faint. You're so weak, it's like you don't exist. I just wasted two days trying to pick you up again. What's wrong with you? Wheeler says nothing. The man is closer. He didn't walk, but the distance between them halves, and his voice is easier to hear, though he is still too bright to look at. His body structure blurs and flickers. You're not one of them. 
he says, and you're not one of us. You're definitely not the hero. You don't count for shit mimetically. Why are you wasting your time on this? Whatever the fuck this is. You should just kill yourself. It's not going to work. Wheeler knows that. The light collapses. The figure smashes into focus, becoming physical. It's a real human. A skinny twenty-something, scruffy uncut hair and a sketchy beard. He is shirtless, and there's a deep black pit in his clavicle, a hole where he has clearly been very badly wounded. Blood has run down his chest, soaked his jeans and forearms, and dry black. This is Bart Hughes, right? The guy riding the spider? Uh, no. Uh, but it is the guy riding the spider? Yeah. Okay. Fresh blood is still coming, building up thick layers which shouldn't be possible. Wheeler doesn't spot the second hole in his guts, obscured by too much blood. Will is trying to keep his expression neutral, but he knows it isn't working. He can feel his left hand, his bad hand, starting to shake. A part of him still wants to ask the guy why, but there is no possible answer. This is what the human race really is, the man explains, spreading his hands to gesture at the whole world. We lied to ourselves that we could be better a thousand years, but this is it. This is what we've always been. We've never been anything else. That's... Wheeler begins, then stops, suddenly remembering something. He claps his left hand to his chest, draws with his right, and shoots. It's a good shot. It's a lucky shot. He takes the man directly in the eyeball and blows out the back of his skull. He falls, twisting as he falls, landing on his broken face. Wheeler gasps, remembering to breathe. He almost drops his gun. He gets a tighter grip on it, keeping it aimed at the blasted ruin of the man's head. He wants to throw up. He controls himself. In through the mouth, out through the nose. He's okay. Let him talk for too long, he says apologetically. He pulls out a foundation brick frame from his pack. He pushes some buttons, entering coordinates, and then retreats far down the road. He retains visual contact with the dead man for as long as possible and turns away and kneels, placing the phone on the road beside him. Following the detailed instructions he found in the control room, he grinds his palm into his eyes and presses his face against the ground. And he says, Elonis Zenore, fire! The orbital laser strike comes diagonally. It lasts for a split second and is easily bright enough in the visible spectrum to have instantly blinded him if he were looking. When Wheeler returns to the scene, there's no body left, just a scorched ellipses of asphalt. He says to the scorch mark, I was going to say something along the lines of, that's a lie. That's what you are. You're a lie, but uh, and if the basket can regenerate from that, I'm done for, well and truly. He looks up. The atmosphere isn't changing. The sky isn't returning to blue. There's still that heinous pressure. SCP-3125 remains the dominant force in the universe. But as he turns, hearing movement in the forest all around him, he realises that the immense spider forms, he'd sincerely forgotten about them, they were standing there so quietly, are dispersing. Hey! He got rid of the mobs! <laughs> I love that. It's like, they're about to have like, the philosophical argument, just shoots him in the face and runs... <laughs> It's so good. It's so refreshing. It's like actually. this world is imperfect. So I saw. I know you said there were three, but it says the next one's the that final is the chapter. Apple Tombstone. Oh, okay. So shall we? So next is Tombstone, right? Yeah, sure. Let's jump right into it. We made pretty good time on that first one. Do you think we can do Tombstone? I as think well, so. Or is it too long? I think maybe we can do Tombstone. All right. Um, I'll start it off since you just had to read that long one. Uh, also, the last one, I'll give that one an uh, 11 out, no, 12 out of 10. Let's go with. It was a little long-winded, but I still really liked it. <clears throat> All memetic horror aside, Wheeler thought Site 41 seemed like a pleasant enough place to work. 
at least above ground. Decently spacious, if unattractive, offices. Large windows, plenty of natural light, scenic forest views. Safe. Site-167 is a hostile, sprawling industrial wasteland, four square kilometers of secure containment warehousing, research laboratories, and administrative offices. Wheeler is put in mind of a fossil fuel power plant. The buildings are grim, functional, and aggressively unattractive. There is no greenery. I the ambient noise in the car. I would fuck him. <laughs> Jesus, Tanner, calm down. I was just chastising the community about horniness. God damn. That's on fucking site. <laughs> there is no greenery. The ambient noise in the complex is a harsh roaring. It was built on a flat plain, and the wind races down concrete canyons and past sharp building edges. Just over half of the site, Wheeler discovers, has been erased from the face of the earth by an orbital laser strike. There is an edge where the intact buildings and roads abruptly end, and beyond that edge there is nothing but blackened, level wreckage. Wheeler guesses that the laser shut down mid-redaction when the site's anti-memetic warhead was triggered, but he can't be sure of the exact chain of events. It doesn't matter. It doesn't significantly harm the odds. What he's looking for is below ground. Wheeler is at his limit. He has traveled too far, and he has been traveling for too for, for, sorry, and he has been traveling for too long. He cannot exist in 3125's universe for much longer, sane. It is all still happening, and the fragile responsibility of being the only one alive who can do anything to stop it is like a steadily tightening voice around his, vice around his skull. He is exhausted and slowly losing his vision to bright migraines and dismally lonely. No more detective work, no more sights, this needs to be the end. Between buildings 8 and 22E, there is a vertical access point, a 30-meter-wide hexagonal shaft with a yellow gantry crane across its mouth. The shaft was used for lowering construction machinery and materials into the site's extensive underground complex. The shaft is so wide and deep that it has strange effects on the movement of air near its lip. It feels to Wheeler as if it's trying to pull him down. There are metal stairs lining the inner wall of the shaft. He descends and then follows his map in the Site-167's underground complex. Unlike Site-41, this was certainly not a safe site. There are warning sites everywhere, many of whose symbols Wheeler cannot immediately parse. Very soon, he begins to encounter heavy bulkheads, sealed with electronic locks. Marion Wheeler's security pass opens them, every time. Containment unit s 167006183s airlock is identical to the one he encountered at Site-41, just as the architectural diagram suggested. The only difference is that this airlock is still visibly airtight. No holes. Wheeler swipes his card through the reader with a shaking hand. The door cycles open, revealing a sterile white antechamber, stale atmosphere after years of disuse. After he years of discovering middle. SCP. <laughs> That's us. We're the only ones in there. Welcome. <laughs> to discovering SCP, Adam we'll Wheeler. We'll be waiting for you. Adam. He's, he stands in the middle, waiting for the second half of the cycle. You learn the whole time that the intercoms was not a site official trying to catch us, but was just us role-playing for our <laughs> podcast this whole time. This is it. His heart is pounding. It's not good for him. He doesn't have a heart condition that he knows of, but how would he know? Every living cardiologist is in hell. He asks himself the final worrying question for the final time. But if you're here, Dr. Hughes, and you've built the machine and the machine works, why didn't you come out? He answers himself as a kind of inoculation against the bad news he knows is coming. Because the machine doesn't work. Because you couldn't build it. Because you're dead. The inner door cycles open. Popcorn. The atmosphere in the vault is tropically humid and thick enough to taste... It tastes unpleasantly organic, like lymph or some other obscure bodily fluid. There are overhead floodlights, of which perhaps one in ten is still shining. There is junk everywhere. To Wheeler's left, there is a rough semicircle of monolithic auto-factory units, each six or more metres tall, with piles of fabricated junk around them. Furniture, tools, food containers, hard foam bricks, circuit boards, spools of fabric. To 
to his right, stacked, stretching away along the long, concave wall of the vault, are hundreds of empty shipping containers. He would have to walk for ten minutes before he found one still containing raw materials. Ahead of him is a three-metre-tall wall of steel, which curves away to left and right, enclosing almost all of the vault's floor space. Just visible over the top of the wall, heaving slowly under the weak yellow light, is an immense sleeping organism. From here, Wheeler can only see the curve of its back, which is a glossy, moist black, mottled with green. It is round, almost spherical, like an ice cream scoop of liver taken from a human two kilometres tall and dumped into this enormous... Wheeler gulps as he makes the association. Petri dish. Wheeler does not notice the meter-thick pipes which run from the auto factories over the edge of the disc and in, providing various necessary liquids. He does spot the tall towers range around the organism, spraying a translucent mist down it from all angles. Suspended from the ceiling to the left and right, roaring continually, are ventilation units as large as houses. There is no one around. Wheeler clears his throat and addresses the room as loudly as he does. Is there a Dr. Bartholomew Hughes in here? Nothing happens. The roaring of the ventilation units continue. The organism continues to heave slowly. Wheeler raises his voice somewhat. I'm looking for a machine called an... It wakes up. Reality amplifier? The thing turns, pushing huge volumes of fluid around its dish, enough that a wave of it sloshes vis- viscously over the side of the wall. It lurches up to the wall. As more of it becomes visible, it becomes clear there is little more to its body plan than what was already visible. Aside from stubby flippers, it is simply a huge, near-spherical lump of biology. It seems to peer eyelessly at Wheeler. It's cute for a Pokeball. <laughs> it's Waylord. I'm picturing Waylord, to be honest. It first and lower its HP. What were you picturing? A Waylord. <laughs> Wheeler concludes that he does not wish to be here. He turns to leave, and is startled to discover that the airlock door has closed behind him as silently as it opened. Ah. The airlock controls are to one side. He does not run for fear of attracting attention with sudden movement, but he walks over, briskly, and pulls out his stolen security card again. I thought that's a stolen credit card. <laughs> <laughs> and I stole Marion's credit card. I was going to play fake grand order. <laughs> As he's about to swipe it through the reader, a stringy red web lashes out from nowhere and restrains his wrist, preventing him from proceeding. Wheeler struggles for a second to pull his arm free, but the webbing is gluey as a freakish rigidity to it, as if there are bones inside it. Ugh, he won't let it move. He glances back and doesn't get a good enough look at the organism's body to spot where the web originated. The organism has opened its eye now, a single eyeball tens of metres wide, which must account for a significant fraction of his body volume. It has a vivid pink iris and four enormous black pupils. His voice isn't truly audible. It arrives in Wheeler's head like maddening static. Mosquitoes whine in stereo. Do you have it? Have what? No doctor. No machine. A thinner strand of webbing shoots out, attaching itself to the security pass in Wheeler's hand, plucking it delicately from his fingers. The strand withdraws and holds the pass in front of the organism's eye. Wheeler. Ah, Wheeler says. Yes, it's something of coincidence, actually. The strand tightens, lifting Wheeler by his arm. He twirls uselessly, barely able to see what's happening. There's a blur of luminous pink, and he's plunged, screaming, directly into the largest of Bart Hughes' four pupils. Oh, is he like a maid of germs? Well, he was. I get, maybe this is just the germs grown-up form. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, yeah. He became a Pokemon. 
popcorn. The pump? Uh, was he the one that got away at the meeting? Well, he died, but the germ that his consciousness was inside got away. Yep. The bunker was empty when he got there. His associates were missing. He was forced to presume them dead. And, in a rare lapse of forethought, he had neglected to bite off one of his human's body fing- his human body's fingers before fleeing the scene of the shooting. With no, t- human- no, no, no. With no human tissue sample to work from, he had no way to clone himself a replacement body. He was, as he realized, trapped. Wheeler had told him that to protect the cause of the Foundation, he would have to sacrifice much or all of his existence, and she had only been reminding him of something which he had always known, intellectually. Still, he had not imagined this. And even if he had, he could never have imagined what this world would be like to experience from the inside. Several times he came close to quitting. Dysmorphia alone almost killed him. But he had a duty. The problem had to be solved. He attacked it in his germ for over a year. He developed tools for himself, computer peripherals, and writing implements adapted for his short but dexterous tendrils. He built miniature chair analogs and other furniture. He developed for himself a little life, a fitness plan, some hobbies even. He slept in baths of nutrient sludge. Before the end of the first month, he had proven to his satisfaction that the countermeme he was searching for existed beyond the comprehension of human intellect. A human being's mind would figuratively burst into flame upon contact with it. It was quite possible that their literal body would too, as a violent reaction to the profound, unalterable wrongness of every aspect of the universe around it. To create the counter-meme, he would need to start from a human carrier of a suitable single-celled base idea, and amplify that idea artificially using a machine. By the second year, he had designed and built enough of the machine to know that the machine could not be built. Theory and practice were diverging too far. Tests were failing in troubling ways, which pointed to fundamental architectural misconceptions. His machine would not and could not do what it was designed to do. He scrapped all of his schematics. He needed a different approach. There was a struggling figure mounted on the back of his retina, drowning beneath yellow pinpricks of focused light, drawing oxygen from his bloodstream and firing back minuscule thoughts. The figure is losing his mind with fear and revulsion, though he is a little more resilient than he gives himself credit for, and he is adapting. It's you, the little man manages to gurgle. There's no amplifier. You're the amplifier. He sequenced and then reverse-engineered his own genetic code. He built life support equipment and re-architected the interior of the vault, which had always been the plan, if not to this extent. He refactored his physiology in stages over the course of years until his brain was of a size and complexity to think monumental, radical, irreducibly complex thoughts. But why didn't you? The spec asks. You could have opened the vault at any time. What were you waiting for? Once, while exploring human idiotic space, he saw himself. He created a rudimentary mimetic descriptor of himself, refined it, focused, guessed a little, and there he was, a complex of brilliant lights in the shape of a man amid a swarm of similar people, living and dead and real and fictional. It was fascinating and sobering to see himself in that grand context from that elevated perspective. He was tiny. He waved. He waved back. And when he saw himself, he came to understand what he was, what his role was. He was the mad technical genius and the crazed inventor who architects the final weapon, but he was not the one to wield it. The spark, the base idea he needed to amplify, was not in his head, and was not in the vault with him. Mathematically, it never could have been. There was not, that was not the shape of things. It had to be delivered by someone else. The spec stopped struggling. He has looked with some effort to his left and his right. He has now finally seen that there are other figures mounted here with him on the retina, older figures who have mostly been interpolated into the membrane and no longer have independent life or thought. This causes him no small amount of alarm. He says, By who? Hold still. The spec's brain explodes like a diagram. Uh, popcorn. There is a forest. There is a nice big house in the forest and a garden behind the house. A trimmed lawn encircled by tall conifers. There's a rough circle of chairs on the lawn and about 25 people seated or standing around or chatting in groups with drinks and burgers and there is a queue for the barbecue. There is a tall column of smoke rising from the barbecue. It's an outstandingly beautiful day and nothing terrible is happening at all. 
Adam Wheeler knows he's broken now because he can't accept the scene. It's too sudden and too pleasant to be real. He feels normal, clean and healthy. He gasps and almost cries when he realises that his hand is back. Someone walks up to him, offering a handshake. It must be Adam. It's a pleasure. Bart Hughes. Hughes is a very youthful fifty, short and skinny, with thick lens, thick-rimmed glasses and a flurry of wild grey and curl. Wheeler shakes his hand, more or less automatically. In his other, he has a bottle of beer. I work at the Foundation, he says, obviously. Containment architecture, biometrics, a whole mess of our jobs. Hughes, Wheeler repeats. I was, uh, looking for you. You found me, Hughes says. Good job. What is this? I didn't think you'd remember. This is where we met. Originally, I mean, briefly, we shared about ten words maximum, and I don't remember a single one of those words, and I barely remember you either, no offence. But I remember the barbecue, and I definitely remember that I met you at the barbecue. So I figured it would be a more agreeable setting for the conversation we need to have. Willow does not recognise the scene, either the location or any of the people. This is your memory? Yeah, come on, let's talk. Hughes leads Wheeler across the lawn and selects a pair of chairs in the sun. He sits and gestures for Wheeler to sit across from him. Wheeler does so uneasily. Hughes rests his elbow on his knees and gathers his thoughts before he begins speaking. Adam, you don't have the idea we're looking for. The seed for the counter meme, you're the wrong guy. You would know if you had it. It would be impossible not to know. You would feel electrified by it, driven forward by the high ideal it represented every waking moment. It's what should have brought you here. I don't know how you made it here without it. I didn't know I was supposed to bring an idea with me. This guy, sequence broke. There's no way you could have known, Hughes reassures him. Nobody exterior to the vaults knew. I didn't know it myself until I was already locked in. This is normal. We form these plans and something unexpected happens and the plans go out the window. And under great pressure, we are forced to demonstrate creativity. You know what really would have helped Adam? Yeah. If he had those fucking Alan Wake pages that tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm going to need an idea. I better find that. <laughs> Wheeler takes a deep breath. He squares his shoulders. All right. Where is it? I hope it's in North America. I don't want to have to go all the way back to Site 41. But, but I will if you can wait that long. That's so sad because he was saying before I can't do any more. And now, like, if he thinks, now he's like, okay, I'll do more. That's because his hope was reinvigorated. By the big boy. Hughes is shaking his head. You can't do it. Even if it was that simple and it was just a place I could send you to collect it, like takeouts, you can't carry an idea like this. You've never had that capability. You don't believe. You've never had to. You're the wrong guy. This is where I'm really sad you never finished Cyberpunk Edge Runners because there's a great reference I could have made here. You're not the guy. So where does that leave us? Hughes turns, looking meaningfully towards the barbecue itself. Wheeler follows his gaze. There was a woman tending it with her back to them, chatting with the people in line for food. She seems to be the centre of attention. Marion, Wheeler says. She had it, Hughes says. Well, to speak accurately, there's no singular it. It's a massively diverse phase space of possibilities. Millions of people in the world had different ideas which could have worked, but she was one of them. Was, Wheeler says. Yeah, she died. Hughes turns back to face him. He hesitates, drinking some more beer while he chooses his words. He is not a medical doctor. He does not have anything which could be considered a bedside manner. Adam, he says, I've been examining your brain. There are layers and layers of damage there, and a lot of it looks deliberate. 
Some of it may even be self-inflicted. You have had memories suppressed and restored and falsified and erased again. And on top of that, you survived what should have been fatal exposure to SCP-3125. And you've been through a great deal of completely non-anomalous trauma. So you will be forgiven for not having worked it out by now. The whole in your life. No, I know, Wheeler says. With some caution, Hughes asks, what do you know? She and I were married at one point, right? Slowly, Hughes nods. Wheeler says, I got there eventually. It felt stupid and obsessive at first to draw that conclusion. Self-absorbed. But there were all these facts and they all fit. At the end of the day, I had to accept it. Hughes asks, how do you feel about that? Wheeler interlocks his fingers distractedly. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if he wants to know. He's afraid to know. So what if we were married? What does that give me? It's over. It's all gone. Could be. Hughes says. What was she like? Hugh- oh no. Hughes holds something out to him. It's an auto-injector pen. A stubby, luminous orange cylinder with a pointed cap can see No, no, no. There's a big... There's a fat black Z printed on its side. Wheeler recognises it. <sighs> That's the pill, right? Or the thing that Marion took? I think so, yeah. I have a feeling he's going to take this and it's going to bring about the idea by Marion being resurrected in his memory and I feel like it's going to destroy him. In fact, he recognises it as his own. He finds himself not able to recall where he acquired it or for how long he's been carrying it. This drug, he knows, will kill him. It'll make him remember everything. Everything. And this will kill him as it does everybody. But he will remember. There's a kind of singing in his ears. The sunlight in the garden is blurring, smearing out. He catches Hughes' eye, and Hughes is smiling ruefully. And his eye has lit up. A skin slate on gold-white point of light. Wait, isn't that gold-white thing in the eye Marion's buddy? The pa- the little anti-meme guy? Could be. Oh, it knew! Estambo. Popcorn. This is going to break me, isn't it? This needs to be the end. There are long, long months of fearful migraine wandering. There's the face-to-face back in the school, mediated by the late Daisy Ulrich, so brief and extraordinarily painful that it registers like a gunshot. And then he is enmeshed within 3125 again, complicit and actively engaged in a darkened metallic hell. The drug makes it impossible to not think about what happened, to not stare directly at what he did. Time in there is dilated, stretched to subjective breaking point by the anomaly's mass. It seems to last tens of years. And then the chisel. And after that, for two years, he is vacant. He has a suit wrapped around a torn, ragged edge hole. And then there's Marion, at last, placidly tearing herself out of his life and him out of hers. And then it's hours earlier than that, the very worst moment, his awful sinking realization that she no longer knows who he is. And then it's two two days before that. He has a vision of a gummy bear with its head torn off. (laughs) What? (laughs) This guy doesn't even remember. (laughs) I don't. It's 6.15 in the morning, October, pre-dawn and freezing cold. Marion is at her car door about to leave for work, but distracted by something important on her work phone. And Adam is lingering on the porch, seeing her off. He has a work trip of his own, tonight and tomorrow night, so this is the last time they'll see each other until... This is the last time they'll see each other. This is it. He digs his heels in, dragging the regression to a straining halt. He calls out, Marion! She puts her phone away. She turns around. It's her, the whole of her. She's precisely the way he remembers her. She is the memory, iconic and brilliant. She smiles at him for a long, ridiculous moment. She says, Do you get it now? Why, you kept me away from all this. Yes! He goes to her and they kiss, and it's a classic, it's perfect, it's everything either of them remembers. He holds her tightly and she hugs him back, head heights, mismatched as ever. He sniffs. You've had a hell of a time, she states. It's a simple fact. 
I needed you, he says. I didn't even know how badly. I didn't need you to help me. I just needed to stand aside and let you do the job instead. Marion, your job is lunacy. I 100% understand why you tried to keep me out of this half of your life for so long, and I will never ask about it again. She looks up at him. It looks like she's about to say something, but the pain in Adam's brain makes itself known again, and he has to break off. The pain is forcing its way forward into the back of his eyes. The rate of regression is increasing again. Different memories from all parts of his life are clamoring at him now, and their combined volume is increasing, and it is becoming difficult to think clearly. Marion, though, is part of most of the memories. Not a constant. She's evolved and grown over the years, but a common thread. He focuses on her. I don't have a lot of time to bring you up to speed, he manages. This isn't real. We're both sharing Bart Hughes' mind right now. I don't know how much you know. There's an anti-memetic monster called 3125. How the hell did you use those brackets? <laughs> it killed me and the Division and the Foundation. Now it's occupying our whole reality. It ruins humans. It's the worst thing that's ever existed. There's no one left but you, and you can't stop it. You can't even look at it. Hughes needs an idea to amplify, so you took a lethal dose of biochemical nestic to reify me properly, because I was the best idea you had. Does that cover it? Adam grins weakly with great relief. His wife had caught up, was, has caught up characteristically quickly. Just about. We live in ridiculous times. She steps back from him. She looks at him, and at herself, and at their fictional little scene, steadily brightening as the sun rises. She looks up at the unimaginably gigantic memeplex which she has to kill. Inside its maw, human existence, all humans and all things humans have ever done, said, thought, or been, are burning alive. SCP-3125 is, in large part, the lie that 3125 is inevitable and indestructible. But it is a lie. She feels it now. She knows in her bones that she is real, an animate memory, an ideal, and abstract. When she started to exist a few moments ago, she was mostly realistic, but she can feel flaws and complexity being stripped away from her. She can see the shape of the idea complex, which she uses assembling around her. It looks familiar. It looks like a heavily reworked slice through the concept of the Foundation itself. The Foundation's noblest intentions and achievements, at least. The best purpose of its existence. To protect people. To swallow up all the horror. To manage it and understand it. To keep it under lock and key so that people don't have to be afraid. Adam, she says, looking up again. It's going to work. I can see all the way to the end from here. That's good. He manages. It's been a long time since I had good news. He falls to his knees. His skull feels as if it's splitting open. She kneels with him, taking one of his hands. He is seeing things, and the things he is being forced to see are hurting him. 3125 has been hacking away at his and her lives for far longer than he knew. They'd lost so much by the end, he had no idea. And it's not just him, he realizes. It's everybody. He needs to multiply this feeling by billions. You've got to end this thing, he says, the pain rising to a flashpoint. It has to be today. No more. Adam, listen. It's a different kind of existence up there. I've seen glimpses of it before, but I've never been there. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know I won't be a human anymore. I'm already not real. I won't be able to come back. I love you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. Tan won't be a human anymore. Is is Rocky Marion Wheeler? <laughs> she used to be human. Oh my god! The lore comes full circle! It was all preparing for this moment, Tan! He used to be human! There's a burning, corrosive sensation crawling across the surface of Adam's brain. A crackle like cellular automata. I know, he says. It's okay. There's going to be no one to come back to. 
It was good to see you. I love you. Stand back. She stands back from him. She flexes what could be wings. You used to sing, Adam says, all the time. It's the first thing it took away from us, but I remember. The lunch window opens. There is a kind of ignition. And Marion Wheeler's perspective shifts, and everything seems to shrink, and she is on the ascent. The part of 3125 which was capable of communication has had its brains blown out. There is no longer anything to reason with. There is no quip. There is a song, but it's a song she sings for herself. The thing is titanic in its structure, brain-breaking in its topology. It comes from a space where ideas exist on a scale entirely beyond those of humans. Its wrongness and its self-consistent evil are so profound that it hurts to comprehend. At first, looking directly at it causes stinging actinic flashes in Marion's eyes, like ionizing radiation. But her perspective is still shifting, because she's still ascending. And as she ascends, ceasing to be human, she sees through the adversary and comes to understand instinctively how it is structured and how it is faulty and how those faults can be attacked. It turns to face her, and when they meet, what happens is less a fight than it is mathematics, an equation settling at the end of a long, painful stretch of working, a blizzard of cancelled terms. In the presence of wild light, vast tracts of 3125, thought to meaningfully exist, prove not to. It is, in the new context with which wild light provides, an ancient irrelevance. It folds up, limb after branching limb, winking out of existence. It releases its grip on everything human. The mathematics is good. It happens in exactly the way Hughes modeled it, back in the bunker, using the mimetic equivalent of fluid dynamics equations, taking thousands of processor years to simulate. After the finger limbs are gone, a livid red-green eyeball remains. The foundation slash wheeler slash protection abstract punctures it, lasering straight through it from front to back. A colorless shockwave spreads through the eyeball interior, another quiet canceling out, leaving bright vacuum behind it, not even particles. And all that is left from the collision is the balance. A final wild photon, outbound to the deepest limit of ideatic space, never to return. Hell yes. Ooh, I really gave it my all there just this once. God damn. I don't know if you could tell, too, but I was I was actually crying during that. But I did a good job. Ooh, I was a brave boy about it. That was really good. 13 out of 10. Brilliant end to the series. I was filled with emotions. Honestly, I know there's still an epilogue left that we'll probably read next time, but I just want to say now that, that this has been a wild, <laughs> wild ride all the way through. The Actually, the epilogue's really short. Do you think we could just read it right now? Let me have a quick look. Champions of Nothing? It's pretty short. Yeah, sure. I didn't realize it was that short, actually. Yeah. Why don't you start? And what have we learned? It takes 058 a significant amount of time to answer his own question. He speaks with a measured, level tone. He is in no hurry. We have learned that there is time missing from our world, almost a year of extremely recent history. And there are spaces, significant spaces, in every population centre, which cannot be perceived or entered. The cities are rooted around them, like mountains or radiation zones. And along with that time and that space, we have learned that there are enough people missing, without any explanation whatsoever, that if I spent the rest of my considerably augmented lifespan counting them, I could not count to that number. He pauses. And outside of the new spherics division, he says, no one, not a single person, is even aware of these thefts. <laughs> Antimimetics division has got, all we got left is the new spherics, who? Because now it's like weird spheres that are missing. Yeah. They're new spheres. But it's, it's funny because like the Antimimetics division used to be like a whole bunch of places, then the Antimimetics division got, now we've got these clowns, the new spherics. <laughs> They have no idea of what Run we came by before. Martin Wohler. 
<laughs> Wait, is that a real? No, name? it's made up. It's like budget <laughs> versions. <laughs> no one, not a single person, is even aware of these thefts. Even those in the division who made the discovery cannot recall what happened during that missing time, and no one can enter that missing space. The gap in reality itself can barely be perceived. It's this shocking, blinding absence, this unknown unknown. We have learned, we have cautiously hypothesized, that three to four years ago an unimaginable anomaly entered our reality. And then, sometime later, it left, taking all that space and all that time and all those people with it. We do not know what it was or what it did. We have tried to find out, but the truth invades my best new spherocists. The question fights back, as if it doesn't want to be answered. And we do not know why the anomaly left, though my experts say that in the conceptual realm there is evidence, traces of what could have been a conflict. And in the distance shining down on us, there is a great new star. He hesitates. Even I don't remember what happened, he continues with his voice lowered, which I personally find deeply alarming, because this is recent history. Like nearly everybody alive, I must have been there. In some respects, I must have gone through it. But if we've learned nothing else, we've learned this. Humans can walk away from and forget anything. Civilizations can go back to normal after anything. He sits in contemplative silence for some time. He stirs at nothing. He worries briefly that he really does know the truth and that there is nothing anomalous preventing him from knowing it. That it's simple denial. But he won't say that aloud, even here. He says... And I wonder, what was the Foundation's role in this? Were we witness to this anomaly? Were we the ones who defeated it? Did we as guests negotiate, participate? We are here now, intact. We are back. What do we owe that? Did we hide or run? Do we deserve to be back? Have we that right? We failed in our stated objective. These people are gone and it's useless to pretend that they aren't dead. We failed organs of magnitude harder than we've ever failed before. Despite which, we remain clandestine and unknown to greater humanity, which means that no one external to the Foundation can ever hold us accountable for our actions or lack thereof. If what happened at the O5 Council meeting yesterday is any indication, we will certainly never hold ourselves accountable. What happened to those people? My people? Where are they? No one is just, just dead. No one is merely passively dead. Death is caused. SCP-055 cannot answer him. He says, his voice rising, these things happen, and we say to ourselves, never again, and a hundred years pass, and they happen again. He says, last time, the time before this one, the time none of us remember, the time for which there is no evidence of any kind, but which I now realise must exist. That time, when we told ourselves and each other, we must do better, what did we do differently from then on, and why didn't it work? He says, what does the Foundation need to be? Where does it need to be, and how far is that place from here? Can we see it from here? Or is this it? He does not know. And after leaving the containment unit, he knows, he will not even remember the questions. Damn. Popcorn. D- direct observation is harmful to Nema's species, and that's a hyperlink. To the very tall things. Oh. Her mother died when she was a juvenile, killed instantly when a Foundation researcher took a close-up flash photograph of her face. The Foundation thinks her whole species is extinct, wiped out by infertility and disease as an indirect result of excessively close Foundation study. But they are not extinct. Some of them adapted. They fled across oceans and then inland. They grew thicker anti-memetic armor. I think you actually theorized that when we read the original. 
Yeah. Nima's a fully grown adult, C. Gigantes, a massively vertically elongated quadruped, almost a kilometer tall at the shoulder. As 058's motorcade leaves Site-19, she's standing just beyond the site's perimeter, with a crumpled metaspider in her mouth. She is unable to perceive the motorcade of the site itself any more than any foundationer can perceive her. They only barely walk the same earth. The spider is a 200-meter-long bundle of legs, eyes, and chitin, long body parts dangling from each side of Nima's jaws. The spider convulses ineffectually. It can't escape. It's the last one. The spiders were numerous and tasty, but the ones who walk very slowly have a broad diet. Nima bites down, biting through the last of the spider's legs, which begin an achingly slow tumble to the ground, accompanied by a gout of bug juice. Nima tosses the spider's small thorax in the air and catches it in the back of her throat. She gulps it down, mostly whole, still twitching. She raises her head and vocalizes triumphantly a deafening, inaudible, infrasonic warble. The call carries all the way to her maid and children on the horizon. Very good. Wow. wow. Guys, this really was an SCP. We, truly, there is no anti-emetics division. Yeah, I mean, there's not. Now it's new spherics division. <laughs> These so clowns. This circus. Yeah. These losers. This is like... New Spherics Division is like SCP Wiki's fucking Boruto. <laughs> Darian Wheeler. Antibiotics Division? Oh, do you mean precursor to New Spherics Division? Oh my god. That was such a good series. Wow. Amazing stuff, Quantum. And I guess next time from now on, we'll go back to guest episodes and or doing top rated of the months? Or like new ones? Or what have you? Yeah, I guess so. Because we finally finished it. Yeah. It's... How, how do you feel? I don't know. Have you read through all of this before we started? I didn't. I've read through the first half, but this is the first time I experienced the ending. So we experienced it together. Exactly. We truly discovered SCP. Finally reached it. The promised horizon. <laughs> These coordinates have achieved made in heaven. We also did so much lore. We, like, revealed that the whole time the warnings were from us. Yeah. We revealed that Rocky was Marion Wheeler. <laughs> this is not... This is speculation. It's speculation. It's the only thing that adds up in the lore. <laughs> it's the only thing that makes sense. Congratulations. You you made a permanent piece of lore on the podcast, uh, Quantum. You've done it. Marion Wheeler is Tan's dog. <laughs> That's crazy to me. That that really feels like we wrapped up a whole era of the podcast. Like, when we first read 5,000, I felt like that was the end of our first arc. I feel like this was the end of our second arc. Finally. Now it's time for so the next... Thousand Year Blood War. Now it's time for Season 3, baby. <laughs> oh, man. What an era. <laughs> Does that mean it's going to be, like, post credit scene where, like, the organization is around a table? <laughs> Anomalous, make a post credit scene after we Well, let's add some credit so there can be a post credit scene, please. Put Anomalous, put yourself as editor. At, it, Hamilton, put yourself as thumbnail and graphics. Why does Hamilton have to add himself? Um, he needs an edit. Add, add Wendigo as character designer, and then you can throw me and Tan Honey there at the bottom. What's, what's the post credit scene? The post credit scene will be all of us at a table. And um, the doors to Tanhony Tower opens, and a mysterious shadowed silhouette comes in. And it's says, very complex. I don't know if a novelist will do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but th- that's just what happens. Okay. He, who knows if he edits it or not? And then it will sa- it start to say something, and then it cuts away. <clears throat> but now we have some comments to read, don't we? <laughs> Shall we? <clears throat> 
Land says, if every loop has slightly different iterations of each person, were the commenters repeated to? I miss Don. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I liked him the most. He was the funniest. <laughs> he one. was the, the best of the seven lamb generals. <laughs> and he, he never got upset when we recorded episodes exactly. on Saturdays. In fact, he wanted us after. to do them sooner. <laughs> <laughs> he hated the comedy. Orchid, <laughs> Orchid Stream says, that intro was actually unsettling. What was the intro? Oh, I forgot to do a warning episode. warning, so I guess it was just blank. <laughs> Yeah, that's very interesting. Maybe we should because maybe it'll go with like the bleak state of the world in this one. We should do it again this week. <laughs> I think someone argued that it was like an intentional thing. Yeah, it was sure. Like, it was. Yeah, it's like we the the guy got eaten up. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't forget. <laughs> yeah. Smile. Uh, Drake of Roses says, "After binging y'all of Spotify, I'm finally caught up." When it comes to the just commission response to using AI art things, people don't always have the bloody money. Darnell should probably start taking notes at some point. He gets confused easily, it seems. Boy, <laughs> especially during these Tales episodes. Exactly. Finally, ever since... Wrong. And finally, ever since y'all covered the old man from nowhere, I've been wanting you to do Brother's Bride, 032. It's shorter and very heavily implied to be connected to the old man. It would be great in an episode where you look at some shorter episodes. Yeah, I've just been covered the old man from nowhere twice. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, Guare says, and this one surprised me, I commented on this. He says, I'm very surprised that Darnell didn't comment anything about this section of the tale. We could exterminate all human life, he says. If there are no sapient hosts in this universe, 3125 can't incarnate. Darnell did not comment because he thought that was reasonable. No, I, I swear I thought I did say something. He did comment on 3125 got to it. Or, or if I just thought in my head, but I almost swear, like, that I thought I said something. He's swearing at you because he's so angry that he called him out. Yep. Hamilton says, it seems today that all we see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But where are those good old old fashioned values on which we used to rely? And then Comedy Man comes up. Lucky there's a bus Simpsons. Shithalia says, quoting me, we're not even the best SCP podcast, and then says, you're the best SCP podcast. You know what, Darnell, I agree with this. The the self-deprecation arc has gone too far. We are the best SCP podcast. It's time we stop pretending otherwise. Yeah. Well, we'll be the... On episode 136, no one else is this good. Let's be honest. We'll be the best SCP podcast. We'll be the best SCP podcast after I throw this thermite into Grigory's bedroom window. (laughs) You know what? Maybe we're the best podcast, period. Who knows? Um, well, I don't know if I'd go that I far. Would. I mean, there's there's the Magnus Archives. Who? There's um, pretending to be people Who? is really good. Uh, Dungeons and Daddies Who? is very funny. Lore is pretty fun and Who? informative. Wow, I guess you've completely disproven all my points because <laughs> you specifically haven't done, watched these. You're right. We are the best podcast. Exactly. On the planet. That's why I thought you said. <laughs> We're the new Spherics division of podcasts at best. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Sobek says I really like the idea of the weekly shout out thing sounds like a fun little extra segment I do too but I would just want to make sure one that we have a way to like fairly do the raffle and two that we would have some bot or some way to check everyone who mentions the podcast so everyone's fairly entered because I wouldn't want anyone to be left out or for it to feel biased but once we figure out those I'd really like to implement that I think it'd be fun uh, Comedy Man Cub says, No greater feeling than a new episode of Discovering SCP for my 20th birthday. Thank you guys for always giving me something to look forward every week. Aww. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like our podcast is dying, and then I see a comment like Exactly, it's because we've been doing the self deprecation art for too fucking long. It's time for the narcissism arc. 
It's not an arc, it's my life, but you're right, it's time to change. It's time to become overconfident. It's time to actually start putting effort into editing our I never said videos. that. I never fucking said that. <laughs> <laughs> I never said well, change we don't, anything. We don't need to... We don't need to actually change and improve as people. We just need to convince ourselves we're okay the way we exactly. are after all. That's exactly. No, that's, <laughs> that's not the opposite of how you... Because I am, you know, I've not seen, like, human... When it comes to human beings, like, I'm up there, It's the I opposite think. of growing as a person. You're what? I'm up there, I think, when it comes to humanity. <laughs> this is the opposite of growth as a person. It's never changing anything and just being, accepting what you are as you are and nothing more. Come on, Tan, you're more than that. Weren't you going to evolve into the ultimate organism? Well, you know, I'm trying to look for anything more ultimate than me already, and I can't see anything. That's just because you're too blind to see beyond the Okay, well, how about I fucking just evolve 20 times until I'm better than you? This is where I reveal that the true nemesis is not Tanhoney, but a different loop version of Tanhoney that's been hunting us both down. (laughs) A Tanhoney whose ego spiraled out of control with no Darnell to contain him after he killed his loop Darnell. What's the next comment like? Is it good? Uh, <laughs> an anomalous writer says, 3125 be a very interesting and concept, an unseen threat by most, clouded in the unknown. Hamilton thumbnail game be going hard. Exactly. It did be going hard. Exactly, anomalous. Grave, Grave Antilaw says, I mean, aren't we experiencing the Tanhony dimension every episode? I can take it. Tanhony <laughs> dimension, Almost. 15 seconds. <laughs> oh no. Quaker Buttonless 128 says, I'm glad the SAB community starts drama about stupid things that don't matter. It's only happening because there's no genuinely bad things happening for people to start drama about. I, I'm hesitant to say that because that's when like someone who has never revealed something previously is going to reveal some really heavy shit about like how they've been abused in the community and then we're all going to feel like assholes. But we're going to start time, fighting my victims, the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I do agree with you a little bit. I do feel like sometimes the reason the drama is so superficial is because there's like nothing really going on. And Pe- people my, are just, my like, thing, people desire the drama. Yeah. They will make people if they desire... don't have any, they will make it. Yeah, people people will find reasons Human... to be upset. Humanity is imperfect. It's if only I could wipe away the impurities. <laughs> Once I ascended to the title of Demon King after killing my sensei in a duel without ever specifying why, um, I've grown... Uh, I think humans are charming, certainly, but I far from think that they are the dominant people. Humans are world. charming, but then again, so are guinea pigs. <laughs> That's a quotable Tanhony line. Uh, JTKC finally says, New episode! Finally says, this guy been quiet for too damn long. New episode. Not sure how, but I'll have to figure out how to watch next week's episode while trapped in the Tanhony dimension. It's okay, though, because I'll use my time here to train and become stronger, like in the Dragon Ball Time Chamber, except I'm battling the wrath of Tanhony's ego and levels of Chuni mere mortals cannot handle. Can't wait to see you guys finish Antimimetic soon, and a surprising return to the podcast lore. That's right, baby. That's what people want to see, Tan. Do you see it? They love it. That's why they call me a hero. That's what makes us top ten podcasts. Top one, actually. I wait this... I rate this episode a 135 out of 10. 200 bonus stars, but negative 75 bonus stars because being thrown into the Tanhony dimension was proper rude, to be honest. How oh, ungrateful no, is getting to me. <laughs> I allowed Ten you to years. gaze upon my dimension. And this is how you repay me. This how did dimension he to you is like, seven minutes? He sends you to the t- Tanhony dimension. Everyone thinks you're in like this Eldritch hellscape or whatever, but you're actually just in fucking Isabelle's like visual novel world. <laughs> It's exactly what it is. You're playing fucking uh, Katawa Shoujo right now. That's the Tanhony oh dimension. Oh my god, that's too cruel. 
Actually, Tan Honey, what's your favorite visual novel? Uh, I don't fucking know. I don't play that many Yeah, okay. Novels. Okay. I don't. Okay. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Mr. Umineko doesn't play any visual novels, guys. I guess Umineko, then. Jesus. Oh, my God. This guy. He is so intent on hiding his true self. Okay, Mr. Umineko himself. I almost hit you upside the head for that. You're lucky you're a continent away. Oh, my God. All right. Um, do we need a password for this episode? Uh, do we? Password no. is... Uh, I'll just read off like a, the, the, the title of a video I recommended. You just have to post this. Redone. JoJo's unreleased adventure, Stone Ocean OST, colon, priests. That's the password. Nice. All right. Um, what should the name of this episode be before we leave? Uh, narcissism Arc. <laughs> narcissism Arc? That's what we're going with? Well, we, we actually read the title this... The, 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 we just read the tales this time. We don't have that many memes to use the title for. That's true. I was too invested. We need to read shittier work so I can make more anime references. Anyways, time right. to announce the beginning of the Narcissism Arc, which everyone's very excited for. I'm sure you guys will all be happy. And maybe along with some narcissism, we we can well, maybe we'll grow. Maybe this will be a new era for us. Exactly. Maybe Tan will finally move to America. America. Good end. Will you come over here, Tan? Sure. <gasps> Guys, Tan only reveals he's coming to America. I'm already there. Everybody bu buy tickets now. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Florida falls off. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't achieve my blade properly. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, my God.